Come on, we are in the book of Acts and we are in chapter 12 this week. If you're new to Victory, we have been in this series going through the book of Acts. And if you got a Bible, we're going to go to Acts chapter 12. We shout when we open up the Bible. And we're one of those churches that leans in with the word of God. We take notes. We believe the word is active. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is worth shouting about. There's a lot of things that people shout about in the world. People shout about football. Come on, high school, college football is just a month away. People shout about basketball. People shout about their, fa- their favorite like music artists. They, they shout about, people even shout about golf. And uh, We're just one of those churches that we shout about the Word of God. So if you got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, open with me to Acts chapter 12. And if you're taking notes, note takers are history makers, world changers. If you're taking notes, just title this message, Never Stop Knocking. Never Stop Knocking. This chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. It is a chapter about a prison break. It is a chapter about a man who is in a place that feels completely, you know, hopeless, discouraging, disappointing, and God brings him through it. Some of y'all about to come through some stuff right now. You have been in the middle of a difficult place. You've been in the middle of opposition. You've been in the middle of confusion. You've been in the middle of disappointment. You've been in the middle of, of situations that are out of your control, and God is about to bring you through it. But the key that we learn in this story is that Peter, who was the man in this situation, he had to learn to never stop knocking. And I'm going to explain what that means in just a minute. But go to verse one. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. He was intending to persecute them. And he had James in verse two, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So this was a huge blow to the church. James was someone who was a pastor. He was a leader. And he was uh, known in the Christian community as one of the best preachers in his time. He was sharing the word of God. And the king of uh, uh, that time, that area of Jerusalem and all that area around Jerusalem, he took James and then he beheaded him in front of people. And this actually made the Jewish people happy. In verse three, it says, when he saw this met with approval among the Jews, there was a lot of people who didn't like the church. They didn't like Christians. They wanted to stop the movement. And so he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So that's a season that's just Passover during a time where they were reflecting on coming out of Egypt. This was during a, um, their holiday season as the Jewish people would celebrate the exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, going towards the promised land. And during that time, he arrested Peter thinking, I'm going to do to Peter what I did to James. His goal, his strategy was to stop the church. Can I tell you that the enemy has had a strategy for thousands of years and he still loses year after year that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church? No matter who's in office, no matter who the emperor is, who the king is, who the president is, who the governor is, Jesus Christ sits on the throne and hell can't stand a a chance against the church of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the king arrested Peter and he put him in prison and he was intending to kill him. He handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers for one guy. You must be pretty special to have that much soldiers surround you. You must have a big plan on your life. You must be pretty powerful in the kingdom of God to be under this much attack. You see, the anointing attracts attacks. And the more that God has a plan for your life, there is a target on your head and the enemy is coming for you with every way he can. So Peter is surrounded by soldiers. He's surrounded by guards. Herod was doing everything he could to keep Peter in prison, but he could not keep God from coming in that prison and pulling him out. In verse five, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love that, that even while Peter was in prison, even while Peter was in a place that spelled out disappointment for the church because Peter was their next pastor. Peter was the guy that preached Pentecost and the church had prayed for James and they lost James. 
How do you keep on preaching and praying when the person you were preaching and praying for last time didn't work out the way you were praying and preaching for? How do you get, how do you, there's danger in disappointment. The danger is that when I'm disappointed with an unanswered prayer, I stop praying for the next situation. The danger and disappointment is that when I've preached something and then I see the opposite happen, I want to stop preaching about it. But can I tell you, there is power when the church chooses to pray, even when they don't feel like it. I don't pray because I feel like praying. I pray because I know there's power in prayer. I don't pray because I get goosebumps every time I pray. I don't lift my hands or go to church just because I woke up one morning and go, ooh, I got goosebumps to go. I get up and go to church because I know that's where I need to be. I lift my hands and worship Jesus because I know there is power in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. The church was praying, not because they felt like it, but because they knew there's still power in prayer. Don't let the enemy convince you over one disappointment that you're supposed to stop praying, that you're supposed to stop going to church, that you're supposed to stop believing that God can still heal and redeem and restore and set free. So while Peter was in prison, the church was praying. Can I tell you that the church is resilient? That while we were in a pandemic, the church still gathered. While the world was hiding, the church showed up in a parking lot in Tulsa, Oklahoma. While the world was saying there's no food on the shelves, there was a church in Tulsa that was handing out grocery bags to people who lined up around the Tulsa Dream Center and around Victory Church. And through three months, y'all know we fed 12 million meals in a matter of three and a half to four months across the United States of America. I love that even though things were happening that were difficult in their time, the church kept on doing what they knew to do. But the church was praying. Just say that with me. But the church was praying. Never stop knocking. Never stop knocking. The night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, in verse 6, Peter was pacing the floor. Peter was Googling how to get out of jail. Peter was checking social media to see what the church was saying about him. Peter was calling friends and family members to figure out how to get out of this situation. Peter was panicking in the prison cell. What was Peter doing the night before his trial? Peter was right here. Some of y'all would still be doing this this morning if you didn't wake up and come to church. Y'all like, I got scripture, mom. This is what the scripture says. I was sleeping. Peter was sleeping the night before his trial. He was sleeping. Sometimes it takes more faith to sleep than it does to be awake. Can you sleep the night before your trial? Can you sleep between praying for a circumstance to change and waiting on a circumstance to change? He was sleeping between those four words right there. Peter was sleeping between. He was sleeping between. He was sleeping between praying for an outcome and waiting for an outcome. And instead of panicking, he was sleeping. This was the same disciple who couldn't sleep during a storm when his Savior was sleeping. This was the same disciple who cut a dude's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane who was sleeping when Jesus was asking him to pray. <laughs> This disciple was not a perfect disciple, but he had learned that Jesus, who went to the cross, who rose from the grave, that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that Jesus was interceding for him. And Peter realized everything from this point on is out of my control. All I can do is pray and trust God with the outcome. All I can do is pray and obey and leave the consequences to him. Once you detach yourself from the need to know what the outcome is going to be, you can go to sleep at night. Some of you are going to get sleep tonight without melatonin, without Ambien, without, you know, Unisom, without the sleeping pills. Peter was sleeping with no sleeping medicine and he was sleeping between the soldiers. And suddenly in verse seven, an angel, the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Now, Peter was in such a deep sleep that the light did not wake him up. If you even have a cell phone light near me, Ashley knows this. If there is a cell phone light on near me, I wake up. How many of y'all wake up at just a little bit of light in the room? Like you need it just dark in your room. You need curtains and then more curtains. You need the blackout curtains and then no cell phone light. 
This light was so bright and Peter was still asleep. That's faith right there. Peter was so sleepy that the angel had to strike Peter. Now that same word struck in the Greek is, is potasso, P-O-T-O-S-S-O. And it's the same word that's used in verse 23 of this chapter. In Acts 12, 23, Herod is struck by an angel. He's struck because he doesn't give praise to God. When you don't praise to God, when you bring, when you keep the glory to yourself, when you believe in your own headlines, when you believe the credit belongs to you, there, there is a strike. Pride leads to a fall. When Herod was struck, he died and he was eaten by worms. It's, it's a crazy scripture. It's in this same chapter. The same guy who tried to kill Peter. Can I tell you? that the Lord has a way of bringing justice on the people who tried to take you out. If you trust justice with him, some of y'all are like, they're going to get eaten by worms in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's a New Testament scripture. God's going to cause my enemies to get eaten by worms. No, but here's what I'm saying. Peter didn't try to lash out at Herod for arresting him or killing his brother James. He trusted God with the outcome. The angel struck Peter and the angel struck Herod. Same word, same type of strike. One strike led to death for Herod. The other strike led to a wake-up call for Peter. Here's what I've realized. It wasn't about the power of the strike. It was about the condition of the heart. Because the word can strike in a church service and one person gets angry, becomes uh, just resistant to the word of God and says, what a condemning word, I'm leaving the church. And another person can hear the same strike and go, oh my God, I need to repent. I'm going down to that altar call today. I, this is a wake-up call for me. See, here's, here's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He's striking the American church. And there's people who are running, and there's people who are running to the altar and saying, Lord, this is my wake-up call. I am breaking free of everything that's holding me back from following after you. It's time to wake up. Come on, the Holy Spirit is striking some of you right now. And a strike hurts. I, I can't imagine that Peter was like, oh, that felt good. No, Peter, it hit him so hard, he woke up. It says the angel struck him, and Peter woke up. And the angel said, quick, get up. Now, when I tell my kids to do something, they have about 100 questions. They're in this phase of trying to understand, and they're like, where are we going? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Your daddy just told you we're leaving. But where are we going? What do I need to wear? Doesn't matter. Just put on some clothes. But why? Oh, that's my favorite question right there. Why? 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 Why are we doing this? And I'm trying to teach my kids, stop asking questions. Just do what your daddy is telling you to do. But we're in a generation where we, people are questioning everything. Why do I have to do this? Where are we going? Show me some ID. Who are you anyways? Peter listens to the commandments and he does exactly what God's telling him to do. Can you obey without all the answers? Can you obey God when you don't know when, where, how, who, why, what? Can you just have simple obedience instead of constantly deconstructing the word of God and the ways of God and whether analyzing and overanalyzing? Sometimes we need to stop thinking about everything and just simply obey and say, God, you have my yes. You have my yes, even when I don't feel like it. Peter was not in the mood to go walking around through a prison cell. I don't have to feel like it to go to church. I don't have to feel like it to open my Bible. I don't have to feel like it to obey. We are so into our feelings that we wait until we have the goosebumps to obey what God has already spelled out in Scripture to do. I do it not because I feel like it, but because he has called me to do it. The angel says, quick, get up, quick, get up. And as soon as Peter stood up, the chains fell off. There are certain chains that will not fall off of your life until you choose to obey what God has asked you to do. We are waiting for God to break off the chains and then we're going to get up out of our depression. But that's not how it works. I get up even when I am depressed. I get up even when I am disappointed. I get up even when I am discouraged. I get up even when I don't feel like going to church. I, I choose to do what God's calling me to do even when my flesh wants to do the opposite. The church didn't feel like praying for Peter when they just lost James, but they chose to pray. And it's time we put our faith in front of our feelings. 
It's time we put the word of God in front of how we feel about a situation. Well, I just don't feel, I'm just confused about it, Paul. I'm just, I'm analyzing it and this is kind of what I'm feeling and this is what, you know, this is what my friends are saying and, and I checked Instagram and this is what social media, this is what they're saying on the news. Yeah, but what is God's word saying to do? Because this is where our compass is at. This is where we find the facts. This is where we find what God, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we don't see yet. So Peter got up, even though he didn't feel like it. And as soon as he got up, the chains fell off. And then the angel said, put on your clothes. Why did Peter not have clothes on? (laughs) That's what I'm wondering. Like, what What was Peter doing just sleeping without clothes? Some of y'all do the same thing too. You just won't admit it in church. But Peter was sleeping. He had taken his clothes off, his sandals off. He had gotten comfortable in his prison. Some of you have gotten comfortable in a place you were never meant to stay. We've gotten comfortable in addictions and habits. I'm not talking about a physical place. I'm talking about a mental space. We have gotten comfortable with confusion. We have settled in a place that the, the enemy wants us to stay in that captivity of confusion, in that captivity of fear, that captivity of addiction, that captivity of discouragement, depression. And we've allowed it to, to just, we've just taken our clothes off. We're just going, this is it. I'm sitting here. But the angel said, get up and put your clothes on. You're, get dressed for what's next. Get dressed for where I'm about to take you. You're, you're about to go into a new season. So put your clothes on. Put your sandals on. This place is not permanent. This situation is not permanent. I'm about to lead you out of the place the enemy has kept you in through this season right now. And so Peter followed him out. Somebody say, I'm coming out of this prison coming out of this prison. So he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. Peter was such in a daze that he thought he was sleepwalking. This is daisy faith right here. This is hazy faith. This is sleepy faith. Sometimes I've got to walk by faith even when I'm tired. Even when we're, we're raising five kids right now under the age of eight, and there are days where we are just both tired But we still get up. We make breakfast for our kids. We choose to get on our clothes and go to work and pray and worship and spend time with the family. There are seasons where you have to do things in a daze. But can I tell you, God can still move through daisy faith. God can still move through hazy, sleepy faith. I don't have to feel ecstatic and excited and 100% awake in order to do what God's called me. I can do it even when I'm walking sleepy sometimes. Peter was walking in a daze. Come on, Antonio just had a baby two months ago. He's saying, amen, praise God. I can do it when I haven't gotten six hours of sleep. Antonio didn't have the baby. Holland had the baby. But come on, dads, we don't get a whole lot of sleep either at times. <laughs> we didn't get any amens from the moms just now. They were like, yeah, right. <laughs> Here's the truth, though. Sometimes we're tired, and yet we can still follow Jesus when we're tired. So Peter's tired, but he's following the instructions. The angel says, go this way, go that way, go this way, go that way. Move here, move there. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you, wants to guide you every step of the way. They passed the first and the second guards. They came to the iron gate. Some of us are in the middle of something that is so thick, that is so strong, that feels impenetrable. How are we going to get through this? But when they came to the iron gate, it says it opened for them by itself. And they went right through it. God is about to lead you through situations that look impossible to get through. But some of those situations are motion activated. You won't see the door open until you get close enough for it to see that you're standing right in front of it. Some of us are looking at concrete situations. I remember talking to this worship pastor and he said, I was called to lead worship for this church and it was a dry dead, stale. And he said, the church felt like concrete. And he said, I felt like I was a hammer. Every week I would get up and I'd say, come on, let's lift our hands. And he said, no one would lift their hands. He said, I felt like I was hammering my driveway, the concrete driveway. And he said, every time I tried to lead worship, no one would enter in. Nobody would sing. Nobody would shout back. Nobody was engaging in the worship. 
But he said, I just kept showing up. I just kept hammering. I just kept on showing up. I just kept moving forward. Sometimes you've got to learn to hammer through situations that seem like concrete. Can I tell you, the longer you hammer, the more you hammer, the more things start to crack and the more things start to break off and the more, I'm going to try not to hurt anybody up here on the front row. But as Peter moved forward, the gate opened. He said, after 10 years, that church broke through. Songs were written that were sung around the world. The world found out about the worship songs from that church and exploded. But he said, had I left in the middle of the disappointment, in the middle of waiting, in the middle of sleeping between a prayer and the outcome of a prayer, I would have missed out on the breakthrough. Some of us walk away from a situation because we gave, we, we prayed five times, we gave five times, we went to church, we did the things we thought we were supposed to do, and we didn't see the breakthrough right away. And we are a microwave generation serving a crockpot God. We are an Instagram generation. We are a generation that wants it fast and quick. But sometimes you've got to press through to see the breakthrough. Sometimes you've got to stay long enough. You've got to be planted enough in order to flourish in the house of the Lord of God. And here's what we've got to do. We've got to learn how to be consistent. The devil is not afraid of a talented person. The devil is not afraid of a talented Christian or a talented church. The devil is afraid of a consistent, persistent, resilient church, a church that shows up through thick and thin, a church that worships even through disappointment, a church that prays even when they're discouraged, a church that feeds the hungry even when they're going through impoverished times. That's the kind of church that moves heaven and opens doors and gates swing wide and hell cannot prevail against a resilient church. The devil is not afraid of someone who's got talent. He's afraid of someone who is consistently speaking the word of God, praying the word of God. The effective prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It's earnest prayers. It's not a one prayer. It's hammering like my worship pastor friend just every Sunday. But they're not lifting their hands. They're not worshiping. They're not coming to the altar. I'm going to keep on preaching. But Paul, that confession you say every week, our best days are right in front of us. I haven't seen my best days yet. I'm going to keep on saying it until you see it. Paul, I haven't seen a turnaround yet. I'm going to keep bringing my kids to children's church until I see them begin to become disciples. Listen, you don't become a disciple with one sermon. You don't become a mature believer in God with one prayer. It's consistency. It's persistence. It's knocking on the door. They passed the first gate, the second gate. They walked through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. And Peter came to himself and he said, now, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and he has rescued me from Herod's clutches. And not only did he rescue me from Herod's clutches, he rescued me from everything that people were hoping was going to happen to me. There's some stuff that didn't happen to you that you have no clue. There were some people in your life, they were waiting for you to fall. They were hoping something worse was. They are still confused that you are actually in church and still moving forward with your purpose. They are just bewildered because they were hoping something. And Peter goes, God rescued me from what Herod tried to do to me. And he rescued me from what people were hoping was going to happen. Come on. Some of y'all are about to get delivered from what people were hoping was going to happen to you. When this dawned on Peter's mind, he said, I got to get to the house of God. I got to get to the house of believers. I got to go where the church is because somebody prayed for me to get through this. You didn't get delivered by your own prayers. You got delivered because grandma was praying for you, because BB was praying for you, because there was some lady in the prayer room on her knees praying for you. They were praying for your marriage. They were praying for your family. Those doors didn't swing wide open just because you've been a good Christian, but because there was a church that was praying when you were in the middle of a storm or a trial. If you're here today, it's because somebody prayed you in this room. Somebody prayed for your testimony. Somebody prayed for your story. When this dawned on Peter, he said, I got to go talk to him. I got to go thank the people that were praying for me. I did this uh, yesterday. I, I preached the funeral for my third grade teacher, Mrs. D'Alessandro. And I got the phone call this past week uh, from our team pastors, the email. They said, hey, the family of Mrs. D'Alessandro wants you to preach her funeral. I go, that was my third grade teacher. Of course I'm going to do it. 
And so I went to more funeral home yesterday and we were in this small chapel and all of her family came in. She had five kids and several grandkids. And they packed in the room and they said, Miss D'Alessandro talked about you, Paul, all the time that she taught you in third grade. I said, you know what? You know what she taught me? She taught me to never give up. I remember when I went into third grade, I just lost my best friend. He didn't die. He just moved to another state, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't really have any close friends at that time. And, and I remember going into third grade and just feeling sad. I sat in her classroom during lunchtime and just would sit with her because, and she would say, why don't you go to the cafeteria? And I'd say, well, I don't have any friends. And I would cry and she would sit beside me and she'd say, I'll, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend, Paul. And I remember Miss Alessandro just sitting beside me and she would tell me stories about when she was a kid. And, um, and this one week, she had all the students in her class give speeches. It was the first time I ever gave a speech publicly. And she called me up. She said, Paul, it's your turn. So I got up in front of the class. I was so nervous. I still get nervous every week to preach here. It is, it, it is a scary thing to preach in front of people. If I look confident, it's, I'm nervous. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's a lot of insecurities the Holy Spirit helps me overcome. But I got up in front of that class and I peed my pants in front of the whole class. And it was noticeable. I was wearing khaki pants, so it wasn't like the dark pants where you don't see it. Khakis. And, uh, and, and I was so embarrassed. And Trey Brogdon, I love Trey if he's listening to this. We're friends now. But back then, he was my, oh man, he, he, he hurt my feelings. And he was like, ah, you know, he's pointing at me in the whole class. They start laughing. And uh, I ran out of the classroom. I ran down the hallway and I hid in the boys' bathroom. And I was in the stall and I was crying. Miss Alessandro chased me down the hallway. She knocks on that door. Paul, you come out of there right now. Paul, I know you're in there. No, I'm not in here. You know, and, <laughs> and she said, Paul, it's okay. I said, no, it's not. I peed my pants. She said, we've all done that before. You know, I was like, no, you haven't. <laughs> You're not cool unless you pee your pants, you know. <laughs> Billy Madison, that's, that's my past. Y'all, we all have a past. Don't email me about that. We all need to, we've all done it before. And she said, we've all done that before. And I said, no, you haven't. She said, Paul, it's okay. Do it again. She said, speak again. I said, no, I'm not going to do it again. She said, Paul, don't give up. Don't give up. And I remember coming out of the bathroom and she encouraged me. I remember sitting with her. She said, Paul, keep on speaking. There's a gift on your life to speak. You got a gift. Had I given up, you know, when Billy Graham gave his first message, he said, I got so nervous. I had four sermons and I got up in front of that small crowd. And he said, I preached all four sermons in less than 10 minutes and I didn't have anything else left to say. So I just left the stage. And he said, I thought I'm a terrible speaker. I'll never speak again. No one's going to respond to any sermons I preach. And yet Billy Graham, he chose to keep going. Did you know when Colonel Sanders, he was 65 years old, didn't have any money and uh, he was bankrupt and he was sitting at home and he was trying to figure out what he was going to do. 65 years old. He remembered his mom had a chicken recipe. So he started working on chicken. He went door to door asking if anybody would order chicken from him. You know how many doors Colonel Sanders knocked on before he got his first order? He knocked on over a thousand doors before he got his first order for that Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the rest is history. Sometimes we stop knocking on a door. We stop preaching a sermon. We stop doing our calling because we don't see instant success. But it might take a thousand sermons. It might take a thousand doors to knock on. But eventually, a door is going to open. Eventually, a breakthrough is going to happen. Eventually, the concrete is going to break. Somebody said, keep on knocking. So verse 13, it says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Come on, Rhoda. Rhoda. <laughs> when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. You got to love Rhoda. She got so excited. She didn't even open the door. Sometimes, you know, Rhoda is like one French fry short of a happy meal. Like we're not, she's so happy and excited. And sometimes I'm like Rhoda. I just forget to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. But she was so excited. She goes, Peter's at the door. The answer to our prayers is at the door. Church, what we have been waiting on, what we have been praying for, what we have been on our knees about, God has answered our prayer. He's at the door. 
And watch what the church says to Rhoda. They say, you are out of your mind. <laughs> it's got to be Peter's angel that's standing there at the door. The church had more faith to believe that an angel was physically standing at the door than they actually had faith to believe that their prayers would get answered. Sometimes the church is so disappointed and so overwhelmed with discouragement that we will convince ourselves God's going to give us second best because he can't answer our first prayer. God's going to give us an angel instead of giving us the actual person. God still raises people from the dead. God still does miraculous things. God still moves in supernatural ways. God is still changing laws that were, in our minds, never going to change before. God is still in the business of doing miracles. Supernatural breakthroughs never stop knocking. And it says in verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking kept on knocking. I want to give you four ways real quick to never stop knocking. Number one, never stop knocking on prayer. Never stop knocking on the door of prayer, prayer, consistent prayer, just showing up and praying over a situation. James chapter five, 16 says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. In verse 17, it says Elijah kept on praying and God shut up the skies and caused it not to rain. And then in verse 18, it says he prayed again and he kept on praying. What did he do? If you read 1 Kings 19, Elijah stuck his head down on the ground and he prayed and he kept praying. He said, oh God, I thank you, Lord, that you're opening up the skies. I pray for rain on this land. Lord, I pray. He drew a circle around. He was a circle maker. He was a prayer warrior. He just stayed in the circle until he saw the breakthrough. He was praying through a situation. He was learning how to pray. Listen, we've got to learn as a church to pray through things. But Paul, I haven't seen anything change. I've been praying for this, and I haven't seen a change. Keep on praying. How long do I got to pray? You might need to pray for 10 years. But Paul, I need to see it happen in 10 minutes. Maybe what God is doing us, what God is doing in us during our prayer is more important than him answering our prayer in 10 minutes. Maybe what God wants to do in you for the next year as you're praying over a situation to change is more important than that situation changing by tomorrow. Maybe God's going to use prayer to shape your character. Maybe God's going to use prayer to reveal things to you that only could happen by praying through a situation instead of instantly seeing it turn around. The church kept on praying. Peter kept on knocking. Keep on knocking on the door of prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. He said, how many of you ask your parents for bread? And they would give you a rattlesnake instead of bread. No. If you ask your parents for bread, they're going to find a way to get you bread. It may not be the best bread, but they're going to find a way to get you some food to eat. In the same way, your father in heaven, who is way better of a father than any good parent here on earth, will he not give to his children the bread of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the riches of heaven, joy, peace. Some of us are sitting in a room of depression, and instead of getting up and knocking on the door, we have settled in. We've taken our clothes off. We've just made ourselves at home. God says, get up and knock on that door to get free of that addiction, to get out of that room of discouragement. It is time to knock on the door for a breakthrough in your marriage, in your family. God is not finished with your husband. God is not finished with your wife. God is not finished with your son. But Paul, I been praying for 30 minutes. Maybe we need to pray for 30 days. Maybe we need to fast and pray. Certain demons only come out through prayer and fasting. Certain addictions can only be broken by praying through a situation, praying through. But Paul, I don't believe in prayer. I just believe in medication. And I'm not against medication. But can I tell you, there is certain things that medication cannot cure. Only prayer is going to cure the generational curse on your family. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't use science or medicine. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we need to put spiritual disciplines in front of the earthly practices. We need to couple them together and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen to the wisdom of doctors and counselors, but I am not going to dismiss the importance of spiritual disciplines. Prayer, prayer, never stop knocking on the door of prayer. Number two, never stop knocking on the door of proclamation. We say it every week. I'm here on purpose. Because I have a purpose. We don't say this confession as a filler. 
It takes us about 10 seconds to say the victory confession. We don't say it as a tradition. We don't say it to, to just take up time and service. We say it because there's power in our words. It might be one of the most important things we do when we gather every week is to say, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. I am not an accident. I am not a mistake. I am not throwing my life away because I feel like it's purposeless. No, I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive. In other words, I have not learned too much. I am still teachable. I am still receivable. I'm still ready to receive what heaven has for me. God is not finished with my story. He who started this work in me will be faithful to complete it. But Paul, I haven't seen anything change yet. Keep on proclaiming. Keep on proclaiming. But Paul, the walls have not fallen down yet. Keep on shouting until the Jericho walls come down. But Paul, the bones are still in the valley. Like prophesying, like Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 37. I speak to those dead, dry bones. Life come back in. Marrows come back together. Prophesy over those dead, dry things. And you might be here today and go, Paul, why would I do that? It's a waste of time to speak positive, to pray, to prophesy. I'm telling you, you can speak negative the rest of your life. Tell me where that gets you. But I'm going to speak life because I'm going to eat the fruit of my lips. I want to speak life over my kids. You're a mighty man of God. You have the mind of Christ. Liam, Benny, Mac, Ellie, Gianna. You are wonderfully and beautifully made in the image of God. You are bold. You are more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But Paul, that doesn't cancel out their mistakes. No, it doesn't. But I'm not going to let their mistakes define what I speak over them. Those are my kids. I get to determine that even when they miss it, they are still a child of God. They are still a candidate for the mercy of God. His mercies are still new every morning. The Lord is still their shepherd. They lack nothing. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. See, the power of proclamation is that I don't have to feel it. I don't have to think that I am good enough to say it. I can say it even when I feel unworthy, unqualified. I don't have to let my feelings dictate my proclamation. I let faith dictate what I speak over my life, over over our nation, over other people. You can curse the darkness or you can light a fire in the midst of it and say, I speak life over this country. I speak life over the next generation. I speak life over my family. Number three, never stop knocking on the door of praise. Never stop knocking on the door of praise. I imagine that while Peter was walking through that prison cell area, it says when he came to that gate, that iron gate, it swung open the closer he got to it. There are certain miracles that are praise activated. That as I begin to worship and praise, as I begin to sing to the Lord, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. I remember I was on a mission trip in Mexico. And we were in a bus and we were driving from Oaxaca, Mexico to Mexico City. It was a 12 hour drive. And we were on this highway curving around. This was year 2012, summer of 2012. And a group of, um, what are the guys in Mexico? The, the cartel, the cartel. The cartel came out and blocked the highway. They had machine guns. They lit fires. They had big trash cans of fires. They had machine guns. They're shooting guns. They had machetes and we're, Come on missions with us to victory. We're gonna, it's gonna be an adventure. <laughs> but we were, we were blocked and it was backed up for miles. They blocked off the road. No one could get through to the other side. And they were trying to create, it was some sort of a government, you know, rebellion thing they wanted to do with the president. They were trying to get the attention of the government. Well, here we are in this bus and there's 30 of us. And I was the young adults pastor at the time. Ashley and I, we were pastoring our college ministry. And our team is like, what are we going to do? And I was like, we've got to fight back. We've got to get swords. We've got to get, and Ashley is like, no, Paul, please don't try to go. I was imagining like I was going to get in a fight with the, the cartel and we were going to fight back. And um, Ashley was like, let's pray. I was like, that's a good word, honey. I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit flows through my wife. And um, we start praying and nothing changed. For an hour, we're sitting there, but we just kept on praying. Somebody said, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Never stop knocking. Then another hour, by, we were sitting in that bus for two hours. They kept walking by, and it was scary. 
it was very scary. I asked the interpreters that were with us. They lived there, locals. I said, does this happen? They were like, no. I said, what should we do? And they were like, I don't know. No, <laughs> you know, like we have no idea what to do. And then our team spontaneously just started worshiping. We just started singing together. All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord, is you, Lord. And you hold the universe. You hold everyone on earth. He's got the whole world in his hands. You weren't ready for that worship song right there. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jaira, you are enough. Jaira, you are enough. I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are not. If he dresses the lilies in beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? How much more does he love you? As we were worshiping, God started working. As you begin to praise, your breakthrough begins to come. As you begin to pray, as you begin to speak it, you may not see it, but God's moving. Even while Peter was sleeping, God was working. When you go to rest, God goes to work. When you take time to just trust in him, when you take time to lean not to your own understanding, God begins to work. He begins to crack things in the supernatural. He begins to work. Anybody ever see the movie Shawshank Redemption? You remember when Andy Dufresne just went, he just went through that tunnel. He just kept on hammering. Count of Monte Cristo just kept on hammering, just kept on moving one inch at a time, one piece of rock at a time, one pebble at a time. Some of us want to break through so fast, but your prison break, it might happen through a season of prayer, praise, worship, whatever you're doing. Don't you stop knocking. Don't you stop showing up to church. Don't you stop speaking the word of God. One pebble at a time. God's going to get you through it. He's going to bring you on the other side of it. Can I tell you what happened in Mexico? As we were worshiping, we opened our eyes and all of a sudden cars started moving. We didn't even see it, but that whole barricade was broken through. Something caused the cartel to take off running. They ran off into the mountains. We never saw them again. We drove right through it. We were able to get on our plane, get back home. Thank you, Jesus. Not a hair on our head was touched. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went through the fire. They didn't even smell like smoke. Some of you are in the middle of a test, and God says, I'm going to bring you through it, but don't you stop praising when you're in the fire. Don't you stop praising when you're in the middle of it. Here's the fourth point right here. Never stop knocking on the door of your purpose. Never stop knocking on the door of your purpose. You have a purpose to fulfill. You have a calling on your life. Peter had to learn how to persist in his purpose. Even when the door wasn't open, he kept on knocking. He kept on knocking. He knew he had to get through to the church. He knew he had an assignment on his life. Paul the apostle, he said, none of these things move me. Hardship, hurricanes, shipwrecks, snake bites, the church not believing me, people walking away from me. Paul said, I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on writing. I have a purpose. I have an assignment. Don't let anyone stop you who didn't call you into ministry. Don't let anyone disqualify you who never qualified you in the first place. It was the Lord who called you to do what he's called you to do. Keep moving in your purpose. Would you stand your feet all over this place? The Holy Spirit is calling the church to contend for revival. Never stop knocking on the door of your purpose. We have an assignment and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Your purpose 
is to glorify God. And even when you miss it at times, your purpose is still intact. You still have a purpose to bring God glory. And today, as the word is striking, for some of you, the purpose is to repent. The purpose is to get right with God. The purpose is to say, I need to get down to that altar and surrender. There are certain things that I have stopped doing that I know I need to do. There are certain spiritual disciplines that I have given up on. There's things that my, I haven't opened my Bible. Maybe you haven't been praying. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not even right with God. I have not put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've been trying to get my way through a situation all by myself. What helped Peter get through it was the angel of the Lord. When you have the Holy Spirit, when you are a born-again believer, you have an unfair advantage against the enemy. You have a secret weapon. Prayer is a weapon for you as a believer. Worship is a weapon for you as a believer. It's an unfair advantage, but you can't do it until you surrender to Jesus, until you put your faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that for the joy set before him, he persevered. He endured the cross. Can I tell you, Jesus broke through the concrete. That stone was rolled away. They thought he was dead, but he broke through the concrete. The cracks begin. Some of you are right now in a season where the concrete is cracking if you just keep on pounding that whole concrete it's about to break up that fallow ground God's about to make a way where there seems to be no way I don't know who I'm speaking to maybe it's a single parent mom here today maybe it's someone who's watching online maybe it's a pastor who's about to throw in the towel on the ministry maybe it's someone who's about to walk away from your church about to walk away from something because you are discouraged you are disillusioned by what you thought was supposed to happen you are uncertain about tomorrow but this is where faith kicks in this is where purpose kicks in faith is the substance of things unseen Faith is the substance of things right in here. You've got to see it in here before you see it out there. It's the substance of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't yet see. It's knowing inside, my God is working behind the scenes. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. Abraham and Sarah, they had to keep on walking. Abraham would keep walking up that mountain, even though he didn't see a ram in the thicket, even though he wasn't sure if Jehovah Jireh was going to show up. As he walked forward with obedience, he kept knocking on the door of his purpose. God moved on his behalf with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I need to get back to knocking. I need to get back in a place where I am persevering, where I am right with God, where I am surrendering to the Lord, where I am praying again. I am praising again. Maybe you have been knocked down by discouragement. Maybe you've been in a place of disillusionment. Maybe you've been in a time of confusion and the enemy has tried to rule you, tried to keep you in that prison cell. But today the angel is striking you saying, get up. It is time to get dressed for what's next. If I am speaking to you, I want you to lift your hand up all over this room. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. From the front to the back. I want you to just leave your seat. Just join me at this altar. Step out from your row. We're just going to worship for a minute. We're going to take the next few minutes to pound the concrete. We are going to pound what the enemy has tried to bring against you today. Just begin to worship him. Begin to surrender to him. Just lay it at the feet of the cross. Bring it to the altar today. Cast your cares upon the Lord today. The altar is open. The altar is open. It is time to start knocking on the door of heaven. To say, God, I refuse to quit. I refuse to throw in the towel. I refuse to give up on the promises of God. I am not letting confusion have the final say. I am not letting discouragement have the final say. This is not my final chapter. I am breaking through. I am pressing in. I am Oh, my God.
This is your war room. This is where you go to war in the spirit. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark world. This is how you break a generational curse. This is how you break the concrete. You just keep pounding. It took a hundred years for Noah to build an ark for his family. It was 2007 that we moved into this worship center that you're standing in right now. But the vision for this building was birthed in 1981. 26 years of casting vision, 26 years, 27 years of being a mobile church, renting out the Maybe Center every week from ORU until the day came that we were able to move into a permanent location for our church. 27 years of just pounding the pavement, just every week casting vision. This is what God's about to do. When is he about to do it? Soon. How soon? What do we got to do? Just keep on praying. Keep on believing. Watch what God will do. Millions of lives have been saved because people kept on praying, kept on proclaiming, kept on persevering, kept on moving in their purpose. Don't you give up. It's not just about you. It's about future generations through you. As you keep on pounding the pavement, God has a breakthrough for you and for people connected to you. So Lord, I just pray right now, God, just a a, a resilient spirit of faith. And I pray, God, that you would move through men and women in this room and online and people who watch this years from now. God, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us the importance of persistent prayer, consistent prayer. And I thank you, Lord, that you would teach us to press through and praise, to press through and proclaiming your word. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your Holy Spirit giving me power to persevere, to never give up, to hold on to your promises, to keep on praying, to keep on praising, to keep on proclaiming, to keep on in my purpose. So Lord, I'm all yours and I'm not quitting and I'm not giving up because you are with me. You are for me and I have the victory in Jesus name. Amen.